This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. What a difference a year makes. In November of 2020, Democrats were riding high. They were on their way to unified control of Congress and the White House, albeit with some hiccups. Fast forward a year, and President Joe Biden is a president with low approval ratings. And one year after he won the Commonwealth of Virginia by 10 points over Donald Trump, Republican Glenn Youngkin won the gubernatorial race over former Governor Terry McAuliffe. And up in New Jersey, which Biden won by almost 16 points, Democratic Governor Phil Murphy is in a squeaker, too-close-to-call race with his Republican opponent, Jack Cittarelli. That's a big swing, especially when you consider Democrats handily won a recall election in California, where Gavin Newsom kept his job just in September. What's next for the parties as they gear up for the 2022 election, and what happened? Here to explain everything, to every last detail, and this will leave you absolutely with no doubt as to what happened— Nathan Gonzalez will be joining us here on Political Theater's podcast to explain. Nathan, welcome. No pressure. Yeah, exactly. And that'll only take about five minutes, and then we can talk about baseball for the rest. That's right. There was a World Series, uh, and I guess there's some justice there. Actually, let's just talk about the World Series. The Braves won, the Astros lost. There we go. There that's that's easy. A win for America. <laughs> um, okay, like this uh, is one of those. This is one of those elections that really tends to rattle people. Um, we, you know, it, it the party of the president in power typically doesn't do great in off-off year elections because it's the first time the the voters can register uh, in a, in a meaningful manner whether they approve or disapprove. But this uh, remind, is reminding a lot of people of 2009. 2009 was the last time uh, that uh, any uh, Republican won a statewide race in Virginia. Uh, and it was also the first year of the unified Democratic control of the White House under Barack Obama uh, when they were they were admired in a big debate over health care. It's kind of mirrored in the way that they're, the Democrats are debating a social safety spending package, an infrastructure package. Um, there is this uh, is this the kind of election that makes people really jittery? Well, if you're a Democrat, I think it should. Uh, I think if you are in the camp in that kind of big D Democratic camp that says, "Well, this this is what happens when the when a president is in the White House, you lose the Virginia governor's race," uh, and if you use that to dismiss what happened on Tuesday, I think. Uh, that might that I don't think that's a good thing for the Democratic Party to do because when you take not only Glenn Youngkin's victory but also what happened in New Jersey together, I think that adds up to a a, a picture that there is something bigger going on that it's not just about uh, a certain group of voters in uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia that there's something larger going on because you had one race that had all the all the kind of the time money and attention being spent in Virginia and then you had another race in New Jersey that didn't get nearly the same nearly the same um amount of resources but yet is a very dramatic underperformance compared to uh, compared to the last few cycles. And I, and I think one of the reasons why New Jersey was such a surprise uh, was that, you know, you had multiple cycles uh, of, of Democrats doing well. Uh, and, and you had multiple races this year 
that showed that partisan performance maybe wasn't dramatic. I'm talking about the the first district special election in New Mexico in June, uh, talking about the California recall election where it might have been a little bumpy on the way, but Democrats got it to where it needed to be. And then you had New Jersey and Virginia uh, this uh, this week that turned out to be much more dramatic. So I, I think I think that this is a sign that Democrats have work to do. Um, you, you mentioned 2000, the comparisons to 2009, 2010. One of the things I was talking about before this election was that in 2010, remember, Democrats passed the Affordable Care Act and then promptly ran away from it, ignored it, forgot it. They didn't want to talk about it. Uh, and I think that that's different to where we are this cycle, that if Democrats are able to pass some significant pieces of legislation, I think you will see them go out on the trail and try to sell it to voters. That's different. Well, we'll figure out if voters are buying what Democrats are selling or what Democrats are passing. But I think you're going to see a different posture from the Democratic Party compared to 2010. Um, all, the, all that being said, uh, Republicans are on the, the brink of the majorities. They are so close in the Senate and the House. They need just a net gain of one seat in the Senate, just a net gain of five seats in the House. And they don't need to win places like Virginia or places like New Jersey to get to the majority. There are far more states and districts that are more competitive uh, for them to, to get over the top. And that's, I think, why Republicans are, are feeling very emboldened right now. And, you know, looking at the polling, I mean, it, it seems like they're, you know, after a few bumpy campaign cycles, uh, polling seemed to get this right, especially in Virginia. I mean, New Jersey may be a different um, sort of situation, uh, but but the polls showed momentum for Glenn Youngkin, like a steady uh, stream of momentum going toward him. And, and you know, I was struck. I, I went out uh, to Shenandoah uh, National Park over the past weekend, and, I, you know, the, the signs that you saw, you know, they, they were almost all Youngkin signs, and there seemed to be a real enthusiasm for him uh, in, in the more rural parts of Virginia. And I was hesitant to, say, to, to sort of make that sort of judgment because you saw a lot of that with Donald Trump in, in, in uh, 2020. But it seemed real this time. Time. Um, the one other thing that polling showed too is that Democrats, you know, really did, you know, stick with McAuliffe and Republicans really stuck with Youngkin. But where the Democrats, uh, where where the the vote slipped away from them, and Youngkin, we're looking at probably him, him winning by about two or three points when all the votes are, are counted. Where they had slipped away from McAuliffe uh, and where Democrats have shown a lot of strength in the last few years is in the suburbs. Um, Youngkin didn't have to win like Loudoun County, for instance, but Youngkin made it close, and that just basically doomed McAuliffe, even though he ended up with like more votes than the last Democrat who was elected governor, uh, now Ralph Northam, uh, who's term limited. I mean, he, you know, McAuliffe got more votes, but still lost the election because he lost a lot of those swing districts. What, what was the, what were the reasons that that happened? Yeah. And, and I think uh, Youngkin was helped by boosting turnout in the non-suburbs, right, in South and Southwest Virginia. Um, but overall, uh, talking about suburban voters, I actually, my mind goes to Star Wars, Jason. My mind goes to uh, to Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, <laughs> and, and when he said, uh, your focus determines your reality. And I think when with suburban voters, if suburban voters are focused on Donald J. Trump, they vote Democratic. I think that's clear. Now we know if, if suburban voters are focused on Democratic leadership, Democratic Congress, potentially Democratic overreach at multiple levels of government, they're going to be more likely to vote Republican. And that was, I think, a big key. And that's and that is 
uh, a challenge for Democrats moving forward because they are still going to be in charge of sort of when we during the 2022 election. So depending on how you know the the health of uh, health of the country, health of individual states, um, a lot of the burden is going to be on the Democratic Party. Um, I'm glad you mentioned polling because polling gets such a, a, a bad rap. And I'm and I'm going to sound like a polling apologist. It's not perfect, but. In Virginia, it was actually pretty darn good, according to the real clear the well the real clear politics final average had Youngkin plus two about two points. According to the five thirty eight polling average, it was about uh, Youngkin plus one. Uh, private polling showed that the race was close, and it was close. Uh, you know, like you said, Youngkin is probably going to win by about two or three points. Now you could say, oh well, what about New Jersey? And uh, I think that that's more of a lack of polling rather than uh, than a polling miss. There was limited polling that showed uh, Murphy uh, with a significant edge, uh, in, and it looks like he's going to win very, very, very narrowly. Um, but I think if we had had the same number or more pollsters diving into New Jersey in the final weeks, uh, we might have picked up on things. And now I know after making uh, reaching out to Republican sources on uh, on election night that Republicans did have some polling that showed it was close. They didn't have Chiarelli winning, uh, but they didn't want to run around town championing those polls because they didn't want to uh, awaken the Democratic machine and get, have Democrats spend a bunch of money and, and turn it back into a partisan race. That's really, I mean, just kind of fascinating. And 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 what I'm I'll be curious to see once we get all the final results in Jersey, if what we see is the same issues, you know, for Democrats and and where Republicans were able to capitalize um, in in New Jersey. Whether I mean, New Jersey is a very suburban place, so it's 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 not like there's a lot of rural New Jersey uh, to to that that just automatically goes for a Republican. I mean, most of the state is is suburban um, or urban, but uh, you know, it seems that. These issues that I mean, you you, you mentioned that Yunkin was able to avoid being just identified as a Trump stand-in. I mean, this was helped by the fact that he didn't have to run in a primary. He was picked in a convention, and he has no record uh, to um, to to run against being a a, a businessman, uh, a former uh, financier with the Carlyle Group. Um, so he, you know, I, I I read one. I think I I can't remember who it was. You know, said that you know he he basically became a better version of Mitt Romney. Um, <laughs> running at running at this level, and it seemed to me that the Republicans had a lot of success in these suburban areas with focusing on schools. Um, they 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 focused on something that McCall said about you know school boards and and curriculums and so forth. And you know without getting into the debate about how school curriculums or school boards should work, just the focus on that seemed to be, you know, something that took away the focus of like, oh, the Democrats are, you know, in Congress are attempting to, you know, negotiate Medicare drugs down so people don't spend as much on that. I mean, the the, the Republicans really seem to grab that and make it the issue that people focused on instead of the bigger ones that Democrats wanted to talk about and didn't really. Yeah, I think Youngkin and Republicans effectively spoke to voters at their kitchen table. I mean, that's become a cliche in our political analysis, uh, but I think they made issues relevant uh, to enough voters in order to win, whereas Democrats are still arguing a little bit more in the hypothetical. Like if 
if you elect Republicans, this is what they're going to do. Or when we pass this piece of legislation, this is how we're going to help you. And I, I think some voters saw more of the imminent threats described by Republicans rather than what uh, what Democrats were are still trying to hash out on, on Capitol Hill. Um, one of the key things, takeaways from this election, and I'll say from any election, is that in these in the aftermath of these results, we have to listen to how the politicians and party strategists are digesting these results. For because what more than what we think happened, Jason, what the politicians and the party strategists think happened is going to guide their future behavior. For example, just after the election, um, Jim Banks, the congressman from Indiana, head of the House, a Republican study committee, released a memo, and it basically was saying, "Lean into the culture war." Like th this is part of what drove you know Youngkin to victory, and whether you agree with that or not, I, I think that that is listening to you know listening to that. To me, that's just one piece of evidence that Republicans are going to continue on that path. On the other side, uh, uh, Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen, uh, I saw he had a, a statement that basically said, you know, don't look too much into off your elections, um, you know, because that that can be that can be tricky. Again, whether you agree with him or not. Uh, if that is the democratic mentality, then I don't know. I don't necessarily see a course, you know, a course correction or or a change of course on the democratic side, which could be to their detriment if they continue to underperform by ten or sixteen points in states and districts across the country. So uh, I do this cautiously, but we do have to listen to the politicians sometime and, and hear what they have to say. Yeah, the the messaging I, I think is going to be really interesting as, because you know we're really you know we are in full. 2022 mode. I mean, people are starting to retire. We're starting to get redistricting maps uh, that are released that show, um, you know, maybe, you know, somebody who won comfortably by 10 or 10 plus points or whatever, regardless of whether they're a, a Democrat or Republican there, you know, like if, if they're in a, what could be considered a more competitive district, something like this will probably weigh on, you know, how they are, you know, what, what whether they want to a tougher race, you know, if you're a Republican, you probably say like, yeah, I can probably pull this out if, you know, if Young can, and people like him can can overperform. And if you're a Democrat, do you really want to run hard just to lose in in a in a cycle that already is running against you and working against you, like historically? Um, and I, I am, what you said about like how they behave, I mean, I, I have, I feel like I need to bring up something a little sensitive about, um, you know, McAuliffe, which is that, is did they did the Democrats really get the best candidate they had too? Because I mean, candidates do matter. This is something that you and and our 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 friend and colleague Stu Rothenberg talk about too, which is that in the end, candidates really do matter. McAuliffe was a known quantity, had a record. They could run against that. He had that Clinton <laughs> context, you know, being a big uh, uh, you know ally of the Clintons for for years and years. And then he ran against somebody that had no record. You know, they could just put on a vest and and you know say, "I'm just a suburban dad." You know, your average multimillionaire suburban dad. Um, is did they make a mistake in not getting somebody fresher, say so to speak? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is that it's difficult to isolate individual factors in a very complex race. Uh, well, when you have a race that's this close, and when you have a race that's this close, uh, everything matters. So you could say, okay, well, if McAuliffe hadn't been, if it had been a candidate, you know, someone who wasn't a longtime politician, okay, maybe that is enough to to make up a two, three point difference. So you say, well, what if he hadn't said that, uh, you know, made the comment about parents in the debate? 
okay, maybe that does make the two or three point difference. But you could also argue, what if Biden's numbers weren't underwater? What if his job approval rating was even uh, was was a little bit better? Uh, would that have made the difference? Maybe a two or three point difference. Uh, so it, it's uh, I think it's a, a fair um, hypothetical. But if Democrats are just going to blame Terry McAuliffe, then I would just point to New Jersey and just say, OK, right. wh- why? Why is what what did what did Phil Murphy do? that caused a 16 perform underperformance compared to Biden from just a year ago. And so that's why if we look at them in totality, it paints a different picture for uh, a different, you know, electoral picture. Are, have you, are you struck by how quickly things have flipped? Because I mean, you know, last year, this time, let's just be honest. I mean, it was like difficult, right? I mean, we were making tough decisions about whether we were going to have Thanksgiving with our parents or not, and whether it was safe to travel. And everybody was on pins and needles waiting for vaccines. Now, you know, if you want a vaccine, you can literally walk into a CVS and get one. <laughs> you know, like you, um, the schools are back open. Yes, there are some mask mandates, you know, in, in different places. Nobody likes wearing a mask. Um, but like, is considering that, I mean, do you, are you surprised at how quickly uh, the public turned against Democrats, you know, and 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 sort of took it out on them, really, like uh, in in at least in these two elections, in just in ten months. Well, I shouldn't be surprised after doing this so long. I mean, we we tell ourselves that voters have short memories, and then we have elections like this to remind us about. Uh, and what was interesting in the CNN exit poll in Virginia is that when you asked a, when when they asked about uh, the coronavirus and COVID nineteen. Uh, voters trusted McAuliffe to handle the issue uh, more. It's just that it was about the fifth. It was it was rated about fifth in terms of level of priority, and I think that was a key. And whereas on the economy or on education, uh, those were higher, more priority uh, issues, and and they trusted Yunkin to to handle those compared to McAuliffe. So I guess it's it shouldn't be a surprise, but it is. It's it's a reminder that. When you're when you're in charge, and I consider in Democrats in this case having the White House, Congress, the current governorship of of Virginia and New Jersey, uh, you are. It doesn't take long before voters hold you responsible for what's going on, whether that's fair or not, whether it's your, you caused it or not. You're going to be held responsible, and that's the that's the maybe the silver lining for Democrats is that the 2022 midterms are a year away there's a chance that we get stronger and healthier as a country and that that will then benefit those who are currently in power. Um, but it's um, bouncing, seeing a big Biden bounce back. How many, let's go with our alliteration today. Uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, it, it's hard to see how he bounces back dramatically in such a partisan environment. I would guess um, just taking sort of a wild prediction that over the next year, the Republican messaging is going to be a lot about education, um, you know, like from the congressional level on down, you know, to the school board level. We're going to hear a lot about, um, you know, parents having their say and so forth. And, and you know, the we're going to hear a lot about critical race theory. Uh, we're going to hear a lot about cultural wars. As, as you say, Jim Banks, uh, this is a rising star in the Republican Party, and he says, lean into this. And for the Democrats, I'm going to be curious because if they do, it sounds like we are going to get at some point <laughs> this reconciliation package passed through Congress. Um, you know, just this week they resolved 
uh, one of the biggest sticking points, which is whether they were going to have some sort of ability for the federal government to negotiate Medicare prices. So that's a that is a very tangible benefit. And as you said, they they ran away from the health care in in twenty nine two thousand ten. Uh, but they this is a little bit more tangible, you know, especially if there's some sort of family paid leave, you know, kind of some component and the and the drug uh, price negotiation. So. It's, it is, people will have a very distinct choice is what I, what I'm seeing. Yeah. And, and I'm interested to watch Republican candidates you know, for House and the Senate who, what, what they do, what they take away from this, because uh, I think the takeaway should be that you could, you could largely take Trump's substance and get rid of his style and be successful. I, I think that's, that's what Youngkin did effectively. But you have a lot of Republicans up to this point who have tried to emulate Trump's style. They they want to be brash. They want to, you know, middle finger to the to the establishment and those Democratic liberals. Uh, and and I don't know that that you know that 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 wasn't the that's not what Glenn Youngkin did. And, but again, we have to watch and see what lessons they learned and if and if some of these Republicans dial it back. And that's in the context of though some of them have to get through primaries and appeal to voters who do like President Trump, uh, former President Trump in that style. They have to get through the primary and win the nomination before they can get to a general election. So that's the dynamic that some Republicans are going to have to to walk or balance uh, in the next set of elections. Well, Nathan. Um... Thank you for, uh, you know, walking us through this. I do feel like everything is now explained. Just kidding. We still don't even know who won New Jersey. <laughs> uh, but but I think that this is a good primer, and this is about as good, uh, you, you know, your your analysis of, of takeaways. It's on roll call right now. Also gets into some of these issues and, and more. I direct people to that. And also, uh, just in a couple weeks on Tuesday, November 16th, uh, you and I are going to be part of a a webinar, CQ Roll Call webinar, put on by uh, parent company uh, Fiscal Note. And people, if they're interested in tuning into that webinar and hearing even more Nathan and Jason, but joined by our colleagues uh, on the team politics, Herb Jackson, Stephanie Aiken, Bridget Bowman, and Kate Ackley, you can tune in on that day. For more information, go to the webinars tab at fiscalnote.com. Nathan, enjoy the rest of your week, and thank you again. We'll see you on the other side.